Hello. Thanks for listening to Intellicast. This is season three, episode 18. We're cranking out episodes, man. Episode 18. That's crazy, right, Brian? I know. I, well, <laughs> you get that high when you're pumping out two a day, like two a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, t- you say two a day because we have been kind of doing two interviews a day the last few days. <laughs> it's been kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And you'll see a lot more content coming out next week. We've done just a ton of interviews. Um, Joining us today, though, is Mark Menig, and he is the Chief Product Officer at Pure Spectrum. It's an awesome interview. If you don't know Mark, you should. He's um, been in Sample for quite a while, and he's going to talk about his background. He has a passion for data quality. Um, Pure Spectrum is doing some really cool stuff. By the way, this episode is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions, and you can reach us at IntelliCast at emi-rs.com. Please follow us on Twitter. EMI underscore research. We're putting out tons of content. We've done a lot of blogs lately. We've put out, let's talk about our blogs, Brian. That's what you and I do other than record oh, yeah. podcasts. Um, let's see. We it did is. COVID research, right? Yeah, we have some COVID research. We have around a variety of different things. We have some of our own proprietary research that you fielded, as well as looking at some response rates in both healthcare and consumer from, from our partner network. Yeah, we reached out I to... Mean, 25, 30 partners and asked about response rates. And man, they're all over the board. So we reached out to global partners. We asked about, hey, response rates are increasing. Where are they increasing? And that's kind of cool stuff. Like, because everybody says it's increasing. But to me, the important thing is, where is the increase coming from? Is it new respondents? Is it old respondents? Is it in the UK? Is it in the US? Is it B2B respondents? So we we kind of summarized what our partner said to us. Um, We did a lot of research on research which I think today we launched our – is it today we're our third blog? I don't even know how many blogs we've done. That is the second blog on the proprietary research you've done. We'll have three more coming up over the next week or so. Okay. So when you're listening to this, there will be between two and 17 blogs about our proprietary research and research. Um, we put up a resource page on our website, right? We did. So – I'm sure all our listeners have been seeing the just vast amounts of research going on about COVID-19 and consumer behavior and how it's impacting panels and even just resources that are out there for the insights industry overall. So you and I put that together and built a page that kind of consolidated that all into one so people can just have it at one source that they can find everything. Yeah, so us, like many other organizations, we started compiling all this stuff for internal purposes, and 99% of the articles and webinars and resources we found were found by you and I, Brian, You can because you have to initialize it, and everything is either BL or BP, and um, so we decided, well, if people internal aren't going to appreciate it, maybe people external will appreciate what we do, and so we put it on the website, and it's really cool stuff. It's on our homepage. You can find it pretty easily. Yeah, if you go to our homepage, it is literally the first on the scrolling header that is right that when you get there. So, um, we've done other stuff too. We put out an ebook, I think, right? We did. That kind of got lost with everything else. I know. So, yeah, we're putting out lots of content. So that's why you should follow us on Twitter. That's why you should like us. Do you like people on LinkedIn? What do you do on LinkedIn? You follow? I think, I think it's follow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So look at other social channels. We're putting out a ton of stuff. I hope you – we'd love feedback on that as well, and it just, not just on the podcast. 
But um, again, it's EMI underscore research on Twitter and Telecast One on Twitter. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 513-401-5463. And now um, you'll get to listen to Mark Menig be really smart for the next half hour or so. Joining us now is Mark Menig, who's the Chief Product Officer at Pure Spectrum. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I guess it's good afternoon for you and still good morning for me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Um, you've been uh, one, of our, one of our most wanted guests for a long time, so super excited oh, to have you on. Yeah, that is, that is that is humbling to hear. But uh, yeah, so. you know, I know a lot of people really enjoy the the podcast and everything, so it's a real pleasure and, and a privilege to be on here with you guys. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So um, maybe let's start off with an intro. I'll let you introduce yourself. I mean, I, those of us in Sample have known you for quite a while, but I'd love maybe hear briefly about your background. Sure. Yeah, it's hard to hard to believe uh, creeping on twenty years um, in the industry now. So oh, you know, wow. definitely the better part of two decades um, type of thing. Spent time, you know, with sample companies, kind of traditional ones back in the early two thousands. Um, started in the industry at GMI um, was that was in around the two thousand four time frame. Yep. Um, so I'll tell I'll tell a little bit of a, a funny story. Some people have heard this story, not everybody. About people always ask me, "How did you get started in in panel and sample?" and and so the the, the truth of that will come out from this podcast now. All right. So so I'll take you back to it's spring of two thousand four, and I went to a job fair and came across this company GMI. They were hiring for uh, I want to say account manager positions. So I was, you know, I was still at a stage in my career. I was looking for relatively entry level types of things. And, and so I went up and talked to them and, um, you know, they had that giant stack of resumes on the, their little booth. Right. And there were the, you know, the people that were manning the booth, um, said, you know, Hey, just, you know, give us your resume and, you know, we'll give you a call. And, and I put all my good business school training to work. And I said, I said, well, what's it going to take for my resume to stay on the very top of that pile? And, and so I think it was, uh, I might've been maybe the boldest person that they met, even if I wasn't, uh, the smartest or the most fitting for the job or anything. Right. Um, but, uh, but they called me back. And so, yeah, I got the interview and, and did all that and, you know, got the accepted for the position. And so my start date was, was a couple months out type of thing. And so I was just, you know, going about, you know, doing my thing and waiting for my start date to roll around. And, and I get an email from the folks at GMI and they say, Hey, can you, can you come in uh, for lunch? Meet us for lunch. We, you know, we want to talk to you about something. I was like, huh, sure. Of course. Like, you know, haven't even started yet. Whatever you right. want. Sure, let's um, have lunch. So no idea what I'm getting into. Right. So I, I meet up with them and, and I go out to lunch and it was with uh, Rob Monster and Mike Billingsley. Mike Billingsley was my was my first boss in the industry. Oh wow! Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy. Many people around the industry, you know, know him. He taught me a lot of yep. uh, what I knew. Helped me really kind of cut my teeth in the industry. So forever appreciative to him for that. Um, but so we sit down at lunch, and we're talking small talk, this and that, and then you know they get down to kind of business, and they say, "So uh, we know we we hired you for the account manager position." Uh, but we've been thinking about it and, and we want to move you into panel. And they stopped there and just kind of looked at me and I was like, sounds, <laughs> sounds great. I'm all for it. Let's do this. Like I'm all in. Right. And I said, I have one quick question though. Just one. 
what's panel? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, because I had no market research right. background at this point. I had never been in the industry. You know, maybe had a market research, uh, you know, class or something in in business school along the way in my marketing yeah. focus kind of thing. But yeah. was nowhere on my radar. No idea what we were talking about. But I was all yeah. in kind of thing. Who would have thought 15 years later, not many people would know more about panels. Like that question uh-huh. is prophetic, right? Right. Yeah. Very foreshadowing for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I love that old GMI panel, by the way. One of my favorites. Global test market, GTM. Yeah. 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 It was good. It was good. It was good. I had a lot of fun in back in those days and learned a lot. We had a wonderful team. Um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate in, in my career you know, having worked at GMI and market tools, then the true sample team spent a little yep. time at survey monkey, yep. you know, spun true sample off, ran it independently for about four, four and a half years. Um, just really, really feel very privileged. The, the people that I've gotten to work with the teams, the types of businesses and everything, it's been a very special journey for me. Um, so I yeah. feel very privileged. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, you joined Pure Spectrum. I can't believe when I saw this, it's been almost two and a half years. That, it seems like it was just a few months ago to me, but it was it's pretty been two and a half. Right? Years. Yeah, it was it was the very beginning of December of 2017. Wow. Yeah, yeah it, it has it has flown, um, and I've actually told um, you know people multiple time internally, you know, as we have kind of all hands get-togethers and celebrations, and as the team has grown, um, it is a very special place very special team. Um, and it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's far and away my favorite time in my time in the industry so far. And that's not to, you know, knock on anybody that, you know, I've worked with or anything. It's just to really say how different and special this group is and and how much fun we're having together kind of doing the things that we're doing. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about what you do. I, by the way, I love the pure spectrum people. I love Michael and um, David and your, your marketing team's amazing. Um, yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what, what are you doing at Pure Spectrum? Uh, you know, at the, the most basic level, right, we're doing a marketplace, right? Um, and we have the ability to provide a platform that's connecting buyers and sellers for online sample. Yep. Um, so a lot of times I just give people the analogy of think of Expedia, right? We're kind of the Expedia of online sample for surveys. You log in, tell us a little bit about your survey, who you're looking to talk to, how many completes you want. And then we give you a list of suppliers that have people that match that and what your cost per interview is going to be and all of that. And we give you the ability to go ahead and quote unquote, book it right there type of thing and launch that survey and start collecting your interviews. Um, You know, that idea of a marketplace, I think is very important. Um, when you think about a marketplace, I love analogies, right? Anybody that knows me is I, I'm constantly talking about analogies. I think I got that from, uh, John Oren back in the, the market tools and true sample days. He was big in the analogies and the, the belt and suspenders and, you know, yeah. all these things. Well, well, what we do is it's, it's kind of hard to explain sometimes. Like my parents are both educated, very smart people, but they still think I just test commercials, I think. And, um, I think that we work in an industry, especially for you. At Pure Spectrum, it's, it's even more technical, I think, than just, you know, basic sampling. Um, so I think analogies probably help. And I interrupted. Totally. Just- no, no, that's okay. Yeah, no, to, like, to this day, my wife doesn't know what I do. Right. And I, I met her in 2009. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's been around for more than a decade and still, right. the, she will literally tell her friends when they say, oh, what does your husband do? She's just, 
you right. know Chandler on Friends? <laughs> That's a good one. He kind of does something like that. And everybody just kind of like, oh, like from our generation, right? They're just like, oh, yeah, totally. And then like the conversation moves on. <laughs> and right. it's like, yeah. you, you didn't even answer though, honey. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I use the analogy of a lot of times for marketplace and, and how we think about the world and those types of things. Um, I, I encourage people to close their eyes. I'll let you guys do it. Close your eyes and, and think of your local grocery store. Tell me the brand name. What's the, the local chain grocery store for you guys? For us, I'm, it's Kroger, the, you know, the, the small Kroger. little chain headquartered nearby. Yeah. I've heard of those guys. They call them, <laughs> they call them Fred Meyer out here. On yeah, QFT, yeah. But same deal. Yeah. Um, all right. So Kroger. Now imagine you, you're walking up to, to the front door of Kroger the little automatic sensor swooshes those doors back and you step into the supermarket, right? Now, keeping your eyes closed, right? You're just envisioning this experience. Look around and and tell me what you see, right? You're in the marketplace, but you're going to see all these distinct departments, right? You're going to see the bakery. You're going to see the, the deli. You're going to see the produce area, maybe the floral shop, the dry goods, the paper goods, right? All these distinct departments within the broader umbrella of the the marketplace type of thing. And and that's how I encourage people to think about Pure Spectrum. Now we focus a lot around automation and and building technology to help research workflows be more efficient and, and be more seamless and those types of things. A lot of it revolves around online sample today. Not all of it. Um you know one of our other big platforms that we have we call Storefront which is really about automated scripting of surveys, being able to tweak choices around brands and attributes and everything from database-driven dropdowns and, and have those automatically flow through into the XML changes of the actual survey and field automatically and offer real-time visual uh, web reporting type of thing. Okay. Much less known about us on the, the storefront side of thing. Um, but it's an example of how we're taking our, our technology roots, our belief in applying technology to drive quality, automation, simplicity, price and value, all of those things. And we're looking for any area within research where those principles can be applied. And, and that's really how we think about the future of our business and continuing to develop these distinct business units, product lines, lots of different words, right? Um, but all all part of what we believe to be a data and insights marketplace at the end of the day. Okay, that's that's really cool. And and by the way, you have a I mentioned it earlier, but I I don't think you could have got better leadership in building something. I mean, Pure Spectrum is a relatively new company, but Michael McCrary, who's I guess the head of your ship, is certainly not new to Sample. He um, has a strong background in Sample and building platforms, and probably um, I have a feeling he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. He's, he's an amazing individual. Um, very, very special leader. Um, and I feel again, very privileged to have an opportunity to work for him, work with him. Um, it was actually a big part of my decision to, to join Pure Spectrum after I was wrapping up my time with True Sample after the sale of the business. Uh, Michael and I had known each other for most of, if not all of my time uh, in the industry. We started in the industry around similar times. 
Um, and, and we'd work together as he was my client. I was his client. Uh, we were partners on industry initiatives, but we had never actually worked at the same company, uh, working with each other on the same goals and initiatives and different things. And so as I was rolling off of true sample, got to talking with him about, you know, where he was at and what he was thinking and what was next with pure spectrum and, and just felt like there was a fit. Um, we were both excited about very similar things saw a very similar path and vision and, and decided to, you know, finally check that box of being a part of the same company together. And, and it's been a really, really special journey. Been a lot of fun. Awesome. And, um, I know a little bit about this, but I know you recently, um, have a new product around quality, which isn't a big surprise knowing your, your background, Mark. And, um, I'm a big, um, I'm a big proponent of quality, data quality. I try to talk about it i think that we're kindred spirits in that and i i I, i'd love to hear more about i think it's called pure score is that right it is pure score yeah yeah Yeah, this is it's a really cool product you know anybody in and around the industry that's you know familiar with data quality knows that the the fight against fraud is never done right um and and a lot of the again analogies that we've often used in terms of um, you know, describing data quality and the battle and different things that, you know, they take on a slightly different context in, in the current environment, because we've often described it like a virus, um, that is constantly mutating and you have to keep adjusting and adapting your, your techniques to fight it, you know, based on those mutations and those types of things. Um, but it's again, exactly what we believe and why we built this product was because we just believe you have to make an absolute commitment to the data quality and, and your job with it is never done. Um, you know, to that end, it's, it's something that, yes, we rolled it out. We announced it and all this fanfare and, and everything. Um, and that's, that's really just the tip of the iceberg, right? What people don't get to see as much is what's happening, you know, every sprint, right? Where we're continuing to refine, continuing to tweak, Um, it is the kind of the pinnacle of everything that I've done around data quality, um, because it introduces for the first time advanced machine learning into the understanding of quality at the, the respondent level type of thing. Um, so for me, my vision, my ideas, things that I'd learned, things that I'd, you know, heard other people talking about, you know, they were not possible to actually build and implement into the data quality space until some of the technology caught up to it, until some of the expertise around actually working with artificial intelligence and machine learning started to, um, you know, build up within individuals. And so for us, the real breakthrough was when we, when we hired Sushma Vasudevan, uh, who is an ex IBM data scientist. Um, so when she joined my team, to lead our data science and analytics uh, function within the company, uh, it was a huge breakthrough in terms of what we could do. Because now we were no longer reliant on, you know, just a third party. We still have third party components built into PeerScore, but we're now able to build on top of that foundation and build that next layer that we talk a lot about with data quality, layering things together to create the protections because there is no silver bullet. Right, And so PureScore really takes and focuses on all of the different inputs that it can from 
the respondent level, the device level, the behavioral level, consistency over time. So creating this really, really rich, deep and wide understanding of an individual respondent in order to understand its quality. And it, it works on a, a scoring kind of mechanism where it develops through all of the data. And we're talking about tens and tens of millions of transactions that were fed into the initial models. Uh, and it develops an quote unquote ideal respondent. And then it, and then it calculates the distance from the ideal that any given respondent is, right? So it had both uh, supervised and unsupervised learning, two different techniques within the, the machine learning realm that went into it, allowing for some natural cluster analysis to fall out, those types of things. You know, it's kind of the epitome of big data, right? At the end of the day, big data, buzzword, you know, this, that. I'm not trying to drop buzzwords, right? Uh, I'm just trying to point out the limitations that existed before we understood how to actually wrangle these large, large data sets and things, right? Excel, Google uh, Sheets, you know, different things. They top out at, you know, roughly a million rows, right? Which yeah. is not which is not a lot of data in the grand scheme of things. And so the ability to work with some of these things that can consume tens, if not hundreds of millions of rows of data, it's an ability for the machine to identify things that the human would never be able to find type of thing. And it allows us to start to move into that realm where in our industry, um, you know, people we've operated from a perspective of, we would find what we looked for. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what we would then build checks for. And then the fraudsters would learn what we were checking for and adjust their behaviors. Yep. And then we had this game of cat and mouse and whack-a-mole and, and all that good stuff. Right. Um, and, and the machine learning though now is the machines are now able to learn and tell us what they're seeing. So we're not having to do all of the work anymore. We're just kind of putting up some guideline parameters and then letting the data actually tell us what's going on. And that's going to move us forward as an industry in a tremendous way. And it's still at the very early stages of this, right? So by no means is PureScore perfect. Does it do everything under the sun and cook your dinner and do the dishes after? No, of course not, right? But it is a tremendous leap forward and will only continue to innovate as the technology for working with these large data sets, understanding the artificial intelligence, the machine learning. All of that's going to see very rapid improvement and capabilities over the next, uh, you know, five, 10 years kind of thing. Right. Um, right. and it, and it will have tremendous positive benefits to our industry. Okay. Um, makes sense. I think it's awesome. It sounds awesome. And it, it sounds like from my basic level understanding of this, um, I'm certainly not a machine learning expert. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're getting a score of someone unbeknownst to them before they get to the client survey. And then you're kind of blocking those that you feel confident aren't um, the best respondents. Is that its basic level what you're doing? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, again, the, the machine learning algorithms themselves identified the key inflection point in, in the data for us and said, you know, people with a score <clears throat> of five or less on a zero to 10 scale uh, were suspicious enough so that they shouldn't be allowed to access a live researcher's survey. Right. So we still allow for them to interact with Pure Spectrum. Right. So we have our, you know, pre screener page where we verify some of the 
uh, targeting that suppliers are doing in order to make sure that this person is in fact qualified for the survey that they're about to attempt and all of that. And that's where a lot of our rich behavioral data about the respondent is coming from, is while we have that user there on our page and all of the things that we can observe about their behavior. So we allow for that, even for the folks that are being blocked from taking an actual researcher survey, we still allow them to interact with us because we do believe in the ability to let a respondent rehabilitate, right? Um, So we, we tried to borrow principles from the U.S. judicial system with the idea of um, you know, innocent until proven guilty, right? Um, so we try to allow everybody to come in and only block them once they have proven that they are suspicious enough that we need to. And then they move into kind of that rehabilitation workflow where now they're going to be blocked from surveys, but we'll continue to interact with them in a safe space and see if they can prove to us that they have earned that privilege again uh, to gain access to researcher surveys. I, by the way, I, I didn't know that. I think that's awesome. I'm a I'm a big um, respondent experience person, and um, I'm sure um, as this evolves, it'll get better. But there probably are some false positives in the fact that you're not just dismissing them and blocking them forever. You're giving them a chance to kind of re- rehabilitate, as you said. I think that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. We tried to to put that respondent. Uh, first, just like you're talking about. We tried to remember that we aren't perfect. Our models aren't perfect. We are going to have those false positives, the false negatives, right? Our type one and type two errors, they're going to happen. And and the goal is to minimize all of that, knowing that we can never eliminate it. And so when we, when we stepped back and thought about it that way, we said, okay, well, that's going to inform us to make some decisions, to build in some workflows that can you know, help try to account for those things. Um, and, and we set all of this, right? This isn't going to be configured by an individual, uh, you know, researcher running a survey on our platform or anything like that. We really said, you know what, this is our commitment to quality. And, and so we're not going to ask anybody to have to configure this or make a decision to turn it on or off or this or that. It's constantly running. This is our investment in our own personal commitment to data quality at the end of the day. That sounds awesome. Um, Looking forward to um, seeing some white papers or um, how this evolves over time. But I think this this sounds awesome and our industry sorely needs it. Yeah, we'll be continuing to do all of that type of stuff. You know, we'll be doing kind of the, you know, the executive brief white papers because I, I fundamentally believe that once you get past about a page and a half on a white paper, <laughs> nobody nobody reads it. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep them short and sweet, but hopefully meaningful for everybody. Uh, but we've got a few things that we're looking at, you know, isolating people with scores below five and above five and, and showing the differences in the data and, and different things, you know, things that are tried and true uh, types of mechanisms to show the importance of why you do what you do and those types of things. So, cool. yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's, that's awesome. I, um, let's move on. Um, it's hard to even get through five minutes without thinking about coronavirus, but um, totally. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. My, my guess is your own personal life hasn't changed that much. I think you work rem- or have worked remotely, but I'd love to hear kind of, if you're seeing the same things we are in terms of your business or um, what's going on at Pure Spectrum, I know you have a lot of remote people, so maybe it's not been a huge impact, but I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, 
I have realized through this process with uh, you know the coronavirus that I am very used to working remotely from headquarters, uh, but I am not used to working from home full time. Yeah. Um, and those are two very different things um, because I actually, while I work remotely from headquarters, uh, I generally sit at a, a friend's business um, that has extra office space and those types of things just to have people around and a, you know, a professional work environment and those types of things works out conveniently for me. It's right down the street from my kid's daycare. Um, so I can, you know, be at my desk and, and then, you know, three minutes later I can be picking them up kind of thing. So it, it's really helpful. Um, but, but definitely, you know, being isolated from, you know, interacting with, with friends and colleagues and, you know, then the lack of freedom to travel down to headquarters to, to visit and visiting with, uh, clients and colleagues and different things. Uh, it's certainly been impactful. Right. And I think, I think everybody has gone through, you know, a little bit of the roller coaster of emotions of, of everything that's going on. Um, you know, certainly our industry, uh, the online quantitative part of our industry for sure, uh, I think is, is very fortunate in that, you know, our business doesn't go from, uh, booming to zero because of something like coronavirus. Um, there are certainly more impacted industries. Um, you know, and I think we're also very lucky that, you know, we do have the ability to work from home. Um, you know, when all of this was first starting, you know, we were talking about as an executive team, what are we going to do? Um, this, this seems to be headed in a direction that's kind of unprecedented. We've never really seen or dealt with this before. We're not sure what to do. And, and ultimately, you know, we decided to, uh, send all of our employees to, to work from home, uh, even before, you know, the California mandate where our headquarters is, was the, uh, the stay home work from home order, those types of things. We were actually ahead of that just because, you know, we recognized our ability to continue to operate our business with almost no interruption that way. And so we said, Hey, look, this isn't about us trying to do anything special or trying to pat ourselves on the back or this or that. It just wasn't about that for us. It was just us stepping back and saying, it looks like everybody's going to need to do their part in, in the grand scheme of this thing to get to the other side. And part of our corporate responsibility can just be to say, Hey, let's get our people home. Let's get them safe. And, and so we started doing that, you know, across all of our offices around the world, including our India offices, um, which, you know, given the national lockdown that they had there again, just pure dumb luck, right? I'd love to say we were so, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of rubbed our magic crystal balls and, and saw exactly what was going to happen and made all the right decisions. But uh, no, it was all dumb luck. <laughs> and we just happened to uh, be fortunate enough to get our, our India-based teams fully equipped with their all the equipment that they needed, their network cards, right? Because they weren't used to working from home. They were used to working in an office environment. And so we had to scramble some of that infrastructure for them to be able to work from home. But then, you know, we got everybody home literally days uh, before the the national lockdown happened there. And so we just did a collective kind of sigh of relief that, yeah. uh, you know, we had our folks where they wanted to be, where they felt safe and, and fully equipped to, you know, continue to do the great work that they do. Yeah. Um, we're in a similar situation here, obviously. Um, not having it as bad in Ohio as... Um, 
Washington and California by any means. But yeah, we've been working home for a while. And you mentioned earlier, I think it's um, week by week. And that's, that's how I think about it is I feel like my, just my mood kind of changes every single week as we go through this. And yeah, I mean, and, it's, um, I go through the roller coaster at, on a daily yeah. basis sometimes, or even yeah, hour, oh, yeah. hour kind of thing. And, you know, oh just, yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah. we, we spend the, just the rapid adjustment of, of everybody to this new way of life. I have been somewhat in awe of really when you, when you scroll through LinkedIn you can't not see, you know, five different companies with a picture of their, their all hands meeting and the tiled zoom meeting. And, you know, hopefully it's not, it's not being zoom bombed at that moment, but, um, you know, all these things, the, the level of adaptation and how rapidly people deployed that into their daily lives and into their businesses and everything is, it's pretty amazing to me when I actually kind of stop and think about it. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good, um, fascinating um, changes and uh, research and white papers and things will be written at some point um, about all the ways that our society adapted successfully um, from this, I think. And um, hopefully that's sooner rather than later we start to see the results of this, I'm hoping. Yeah, I think it was I think it was my sister actually that posted something on Facebook and I'm not a big Facebook guy, um but I have scrolled it a little bit more lately just to, you know, check in with people, stay in touch with what's going on and and everything and it was it was something right. that she posted about basically what have we learned? And and we've learned that it turns out that 50% of us can absolutely do our jobs effectively from home. And the other 50% aren't paid nearly enough for the work that they do. And, and I saw that one right. and I said, that is spot on, right? When you think about, you know, all of our, our essential workers as, as we've kind of taken to calling them in, in media at least, right? Um, that definition is so broad and, and what is yeah. deemed essential and, and those types of things. And, you know, here in Seattle, um, we, we would not survive as a species without Amazon delivery anymore. We don't know how. Right. We just right. simply don't know how, right? Like Amazon taught us to expect that you can have something delivered in one to two hours to your front door right. in the Seattle area. Yep. And so now even it's a little bit of an adjustment because if it's not an essential item, uh, you might be waiting for that delivery for two weeks. And right. everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's so long. And it's like, well, yeah you know, not that long ago, you couldn't even shop online. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's just funny to, to see and, and to think about, you know, all these things and everything. But, um, you know, certainly I would like to just take a quick moment and say thank you to everybody that has continued to be out there going to work, doing their jobs day to day that don't have the luxury of working from home. Yeah. Um, and just really appreciate what they do. Right. We've got signs on our doors here at home to thank the delivery people and, and those types of things. And, um, you know, they're yeah. doing they're doing a lion's share of work right now for our entire yeah. society. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I hope I hope they get I hope they get all the recognition they deserve when, when this is all said and done. And in some ways, I, I'm reminded of 9-11 and the kind of the tragedy around this in that after 9-11 we really embraced like first responders right uh, like especially fire and police department was just heroic totally. actions that they took and now the 
the same, similar thing is happening with um, especially those in healthcare, um, nursing and doctors and things like that, but also people Absolutely. that work in grocery stores and delivery drivers and mailmen and things like Uber Eats and all of those people, they're putting their lives, you said it very well, um, putting their lives at risk for so that we can all try to be safer and have that convenience. And so those are the heroes that will emerge from this. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I hope that that's one of the biggest things that changes in our society as a result of this is a reevaluation of, yeah. you know, this, this concept of essential and, yeah. and how we, how we acknowledge and honor things that are essential in our lives. I hope that changes. Yes. And you know, let's end it there. We ended positive. Sometimes um, we get negative. So let's, let's, let's move on to something fun, even more fun. Absolutely. Uh, um, we have always, we're trying to do the four P's, which, um, we take them from the marketing mix. We, we changed it around and yeah. um, for you, we've chosen four P's and, um, the first P is perform. And I'd love to hear something that people don't know about you. If you have a hidden talent, anything that you'd like to share? Mm, I think it's, it's more of a, a little bit of a funny story on perform. I don't necessarily do it anymore. Um, but I was a pole vaulter back in my high school days. Not very many people know that. That's awesome. Um, the funny part of that though, is if you, if you have met me, I'm not terribly tall per se. Most people think of pole vaulters as being a little bit taller. Um, but, uh, to make it even worse when I was in high school and pole vaulting, I was actually 205 pounds. Um, I'm about 155, 160 now. So I'm a slightly lighter now than when I was in high school. Wow. Um, so there's not many people that are five, nine, 205 pounds and pole vaulting. Um, and they gave me a special, and I remember it to this day, red and white candy stripe pole. It was called a training pole that was specifically designed not to bend. Because they were they were worried that I was going to snap the the pole, and they said it's too dangerous for you to have a pole that bends, so you get the candy cane training pole. And so that was for my uh, my pole vaulting career in high school. I had the non bending candy cane striped pole because I was the shortest, heaviest pole vaulter in the history of our school. That's that's amazing. That's yeah. one of that is a top five hidden talent or performance. <laughs> um, moving on, um, my favorite new P is pandemic. And what are some funny things that you've been doing during the quarantine? Um, I've got a couple. I'll start off. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear them. Two weird things that I've done. I'm in a different situation than you are. I'm very bored at home, and um, I have an 18 year old and my wife, and um, so I find myself doing odd things. And here's two of them. I find myself just randomly going in the front yard and picking weeds like throughout. Okay. It could be in between meetings. It could be at lunchtime in the evening. I'm just like, huh, I'm going to wander outside, see what's going on and pick some weeds. And we, I, can, we can effectively social distance. I'll, yeah. I'll stay inside while you take care of my backyard because I do not have that particular quirk of quarantine. So my backyard looks like a jungle. Oh, it's it's kind of a weird situation. I'm usually not in the yard that much. And then the second thing, and this is embarrassing, but I have now watched through season six of the television show Twenty Four, and such it, a great show. It was a great show, but see, some of the se- season six is horrible, and I don't know why I'm doing it. Um, I, I watched that. I just watched the 2013 NBA Finals 
like I'm just craving random stuff. But I yeah, the show twenty four and the 2013 NBA Finals are my my other. Uh, yeah, on the on the topic of sports and and quarantine. I have one. I have one absolute burning question for ESPN, and that uh-huh. is why why is ESPN two not permanently ESPN eight the Ocho until exactly. we're off lockdown? Because oh, I watched I watched axe throwing, mm-hmm. I watched cherry pit spitting, yes, I watched sign spinning, yes, I watched cup stacking. Yep. I mean, Not I just I, I binged that Sunday that the Ocho was on, and it was. It was the best. I was like, I was telling my son, I was like, Grayson, Grayson, come here, come here. We're going to watch something weird. I don't even know what it is yet, but we're going to watch it. It's going to be super fun. Yeah. And so we just watched ESPN Ocho all day that day. And I just could not get enough. Put on every single random sport. I don't even need to know the rules. As long as some some sort of competition, um, I don't even need it in the English language. Put anything on and I'll probably watch it. I totally agree. Could not agree more. Um, any other funny things that you do during quarantine other than watch the Ocho? No, like I said, ours with the the two kids under three, it, there's hasn't been anything weird really. It's just been you know just a lot of playing around the house and you know like I said, going for jogs with my son in the stroller. So it's been a lot of um, just more special cherished time with the kids that we probably wouldn't have normally had type of thing. So more more just kind of sentimental than kind of funny or weird. But yep. yeah, um, next P is pride. What's your biggest source of pride or biggest accomplishment? This could be personal, professional, whatever you want. Yeah. I mean that with, with two young kids, I mean, that's an easy one. I'd say my kids are, are yeah. certainly, you know, my biggest source of, of pride and just seeing them and watching them change and grow, um, you know, is it's just amazing. Um, and they're so much fun and they're so, they're so curious um, you know, even the, uh, Evelyn, we call her Evie, our youngest, you know, she's about three and a half months right now. Yep. Um, and, and you can still tell even at that age, just the, the curiosity and the, the wanting to explore things and wanting to test their own limits of what their bodies are capable of and, and all these different things. And so it's, it's just very, very special, uh, becoming a, a parent, you know, as you know, uh, certainly changes you, changes your outlook on the world around you. And those types of things, and it's it's certainly been uh, an exciting journey thus far for my wife and I, and and we yeah. we see a lot of that ahead for us. Yeah, awesome. Um, last P is podium, and this could be a top three of something. Um, you get to pick. I don't know what your podium is, um, but I'm excited to hear it. Masters moments. Oh yeah, nice. All right. I thought about this one in advance, and that was where I ended up. Since we're we're without the Masters. Yeah, which I'm a, I'm a golf fan, and and I love that tradition like no other type of thing, and and I am I am bummed that we don't have it this year. Um, so that was what I what I picked, and so um, I'll get us I'll get us started. But I'm curious what what you guys remember about kind of top moments for the Masters. Um, but for me, one of them was on the 16th hole when Tiger chipped in for for birdie and the ball. Yeah, hung on the lip for that yeah. what felt what felt like three hours kind of thing yeah. before falling in. Uh, the Nike that logo. Was a, mm-hmm. That was the top <laughs> top Masters moment for me. I remember Absolutely. watching that live. So, do you have do you have one personally that you remember, or you want my three? 
That would have been my first, but um, I remember I, w- I worked at TNS at this time, and um, um, was I don't remember what what year was that, but I don't remember the year. But a coworker of mine um, was actually at that green and saw that happen, and you can she claims that oh, wow. she watched the video and she was there. So that's that was even a better moment for her. But yeah, anything Tiger. I think there was another Tiger moment where he like. I don't know if he lapped the field, but he won by something like 17 strokes or something. That Anything with Tiger at the Masters. And last year, I, was, I mean, all of my top would probably be Tiger. Last year, Tiger winning, the one where he dominated. I don't know if that was the same one, but then the other one when he chipped it in. Last year last year when he won, definitely a top moment. Um, he he proved me wrong. I had bet multiple people that he would never, he would never win another major. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, don't agree with all of his decisions in his personal life, but as right. a as a professional athlete and a golfer and everything, uh, I think you know obviously everything he's done is absolutely incredible, and and he's there's nobody more exciting to watch when when they're at the top of their game. Um, so seeing him win, thrilled for that. I think it's great for the game, great for you know kids growing up and you know introducing getting introduced to the game. Um, you know, I love the the discipline and the focus and everything that's required in that sport. Uh, yep. So I love that. Love well, seeing. Tiger, I think this is Tiger 3.0. And the first Tiger was the dominant Tiger of the early 2000s. And then there totally. was Tiger 2.0 where he had all of his problems, <laughs> marital right. issues and back problems. And now Tiger 3.0 really fascinates me because he's a mentor to the young kids and he's mm-hmm. very like, I don't know what the word is, maybe more likable and human, I guess. And uh, human, um, human was the word I was going to go with. Yeah. Very, yeah. very much more down to earth, real. Right. Exactly. Um, you can relate to him a little bit. He's not this like crazy machine that just wants to kill everybody. He's an actual human being. And I, I loved, it's too bad we're deprived of this year's masters, but um, maybe I guess we'll get it maybe later in the year, but um, yep. Tiger 3.0 fascinates me. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, other podium moments for me for the Masters would be Phil winning the Masters. Yep. Phil Mickelson, that is. Um, that was a big one for me. Um, loved seeing him, you know, get a get a major under his belt kind of thing. Um, and then I'd be I'd be remiss not to give Jack uh, you know, a nod at 46 years old winning uh, you know, his sixth Masters. I think that was that's a pretty cool top masters moment for me. didn't experience that one live personally uh, or anything like that, but yeah. uh, it ranks up there for me. Uh, you know, I love those kind of uh, underdog stories, I guess, especially as I, you know, creep up there in, in age and years and get more and more, Yep. Uh, you know, gray hairs, at least the ones on my, my beard, if not my head anymore. Yeah. Um, I, um... I love seeing the old guys kind of pull it out every once and again for us, you know? Right. I um, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole this over the weekend, and I don't know how it started, but um, I started watching some crazy Phil Mickelson shots, and one of them was where he he basically shot a shot backwards because the way that the hill was sloped and he was near a sand trap and right by the green and the green. I was think sloped. I remember this. Yeah, and he, he's like, the only way to make this shot is to hit it backwards over your head, and he put some sort of crazy spin and it went behind him and it almost went in. And um, so that's a combination of your podium and um, funny coronavirus virus story. There you go. It's good yeah. to combine topics for sure. <laughs> right. um, 
Well, Mark, hey, thanks for joining us, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Is is there any anything you want to promote or any way that people want to reach you if they have questions about Pure Spectrum or Pure Score? Uh, they can reach out anytime. It's real, real simple. Mark at PureSpectrum.com. Nice and simple. And we'd love to to hear from anybody. Really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Pleasure chatting with you and, and being a part of this. So I really right. appreciate it. And just, uh, you know, wish everybody to stay safe and, you know, we'll continue to all do our part. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Um, thanks to Mark Menig. That was a, I don't know about you, Brian. I thought it was a good interview. He's a smart guy. And um, we saw a picture of his garage where he recorded the interview and um, it sounded like he had really good equipment. I think you noticed some good equipment, right? Uh- yeah, I'm jealous of the mic he has. He has a bigger budget than us, apparently. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's worked remotely longer than we've done the podcast, probably. Yeah, I will say, though, I think my at-home studio might be better. I'm not in a garage, so. <laughs> yeah, well, he has two little ones. My my guess is there's a, probably a little solace for him out in the garage um, where he can kind of concentrate. Um, his He mentioned his wife, um I think she's, he said she works in healthcare and two little ones. One's pretty much a newborn. So my guess is he probably enjoys the garage. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I think he did mention that, hey, he missed going because he said he, while he works virtually, it wasn't necessarily right. from home, that he did miss going to that office and having that regular day. And it was weird yeah. working from home. Yeah. Working, he works remotely. Um, and now he's working from home. So it's a little bit different. He's in a kind of a unique situation, actually. Um, Hey, thanks for listening. We have more episodes coming. We're trying to do a couple a week. And if you have any feedback, any topics or guests, um, please let us know. Thanks for joining. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.